Hi, Nicholas Evans here. This week on The Chattering Hour, I'm joined by our producer, Chris Rowe, and we chat about some of our favourite moments from season three. As well as running the highly successful Chris Rowe management for nearly 20 years, Chris is an award-winning screenwriter and film director, most recently working on A Tale of Two Sisters, starring Tracy Lords. Chris, thank you very much indeed for joining me here today. Well, Nick, you know, it's kind of like coming back to a family reunion. Uh, you know, we do this ever so often. Actually, I do this more than I've ever done family reunions. I've never been fond, I've never been fond of them. You sit there and you look at the family members and they're like, you know, oh, my God, so good to see you. And then, you know, as they walk away, they're like, he's gained a lot of weight. You know, they're going through marital problems. I've heard through friends that so-and-so is, it's just the whole thing. I've, I've always detested family reunions. It's, it's very weird, isn't it? Considering the year and a half that we had where family reunions have basically been happening over, over zoom. It's, exactly. it's, it's going to be very strange when people are actually in the same room together. After I, actually prefer, I actually prefer family reunions by zoom because I can exit very quickly. <laughs> sorry we lost the connection sorry yeah it's yeah yeah anyway um thank you for joining me again today and so we're just gonna have a quick review of some of the fabulous guests i've had the great joy of chatting with and of course our first guest on season three was bill mosley bill is um i always get excited talking about bill for a few reasons we have the same birthday our birthday uh uh is on November 11th. So we always, uh, you know, we'll send each other notes and that sort of thing. Um, but, but Bill is this incredible story. I mean, unbelievably intelligent man. Mm. Most people don't realize that he, you know, went to Yale and, uh, he has this incredibly successful, uh, uh, lineage there going, going to school. And, and to some, I suppose that would be considered, what you want to be an actor <laughs> you're in Yale, but you want to be an actor. Um, Bill's great. And it's certainly what he's contributed to the genre is immeasurable, but what I don't think people realize, and this is the curse of, of suddenly finding a home in the genre, be it horror, be it science fiction. Uh, once you get, typecast it's hard to get out bill's a really good actor um and people don't realize how long he's been working he's been working for a long long time um starting out in bit parts you know going back to what 84 or something like that um you know then he kind of i don't remember seeing him for a bit and then suddenly he was on an hbo show um called carnival uh, in the early 2000s, when HBO was really starting to change, their whole quality and format and the type of programming they did changed. 
And Bill had a small recurring on that. And um, I thought that was great. And then, of course, House of a Thousand Corpses hit, and then everything changed. So um, very happy to have Bill on, always happy to see him. And um, he's just, he's a good guy. He's a good guy to talk to. Um, and I think he's just a good human being. Um, he's a musician. Uh, you know, he's all of those things. And it's, it's always fun to, uh, to see what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I was absolutely fascinated. I had no idea about his background until I came to do the research and chat with him. I love the, I think, like you, what I find fascinating about Bill is like, rather than the House of the Thousand Corpses, I'm thinking of Chop Top in uh, Texas Chainsaw. Uh, and I found that story about how he actually got that role fascinating. But you watch him as Chop Top, and then you watch him later on in The Devil's Carnival, um, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, one of our other guests. But the vulnerability that Bill showed in that part in Devil's Carnival, I thought was extraordinary. Um, he's just a really, really wide-ranging actor. He is. And um, I would love to see Bill, um, certainly not that he hasn't had a career, because he has, but I'd love to see Bill get... Um, a real serious role, something that's completely out of the genre and something that completely could really um, showcase him uh, and, and his talents. Cause he's quite good and, and he deserves that. Yeah. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see more from him uh, down the road. We will, he works yeah. all the time. He isn't going anywhere. No, 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 thank heavens. Um, and our next guest, again, another man with a very long um and fascinating and very diverse career uh, as well as Julian Sands, uh, you know, from romantic comedy to horror to whatever naked lunches, extraordinary career. Julian um, plays the suave uh, debonair Englishman so well. And he plays the creepy British guy so well. And what's great is when you take creepy British guy merged with suave debonair Englishman and you put them together, you get something really unique. And that's Julian. Um, Julian, we are very good friends and um, I'm very proud to have him as a friend. I've often said, who needs a publicist when you have Julian Sands? Because he really forever has spoken so um, highly of me and my company, and we've had a really good relationship for 10, 12 years. And um, I remember saying to Julian some years back uh, that I felt that he was going to have a massive research. I said, I just feel like you're going to have a big research. Oh, darling, I don't know. You know, I said, I have a feeling you're going to. And then all of a sudden, the tides turn. And work started to pick up. And I think it, in a way, it's all because of streaming and how things changed in terms of platforms needing content. Suddenly, he just started to work all the time and he works all the time. And when he's not filming a movie or doing an episodic, he's doing a stage uh, uh, performance of some kind. He's doing this Pinter show. He's doing... Uh, a reading. Uh, he is, I never know 
like I call, he'll call me and he's like, Oh darling, I'm in Geneva. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, Oh, I'm in South Africa. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, I never know. Are, are you ever home? Uh, you never call me when you're in LA because oh, darling, when I get back. And then of course we never hook up. I'm gone. So yeah, he's great. A lot of great memorable performances, certainly. Um, Warlock uh, films uh, to start it off. Um, Arachnophobia, um, uh, Stephen King's Rose Red. Um, always really, really good supporting lead characters. And um, yeah. then great stuff too. I mean, you know, romantic comedies like you discussed. Room um, with a view. Yeah. Room with a view and the killing fields. And um, I mean, I wish we had time to talk because I've got he and John Malkovich are great, great friends. They're best friends. And um, uh, I've got some great stories. I spent um, a weekend with uh, John Malkovich. I stayed with him at his home in in France um, a few years ago. And I just have to say this because it's so Julian to do this. So I said to Julian, I feel like I need to bring John something. And I said, I don't know what to bring him. I said, what, what, what do I bring John Malkovich? And he was like, oh, darling, bring him a, a, a good Pinot Noir. And I went, okay. So I'm running all over the village in Spain, Sitges, Spain, trying to find the most expensive bottle of Pinot that I can find. And I'm going from shop to shop to shop. And I finally find this like 100 euro bottle, best I could find. I buy it. I see this cheese shop. I buy this beautiful tray of cheeses. And then I go to France the next morning and I give it to John. When I arrive, he sends a driver to pick me up at the airport, beautiful drive through the Provence area of France to his home. I give it to him and he's like, Oh, thank you. And John Malkovich cooks for me for like, several days he and his 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 partner um his wife and um finally you know each night that goes by he's not opening up my bottle of wine and i'm thinking oh fuck julian what did you do i've insulted this man and finally john says he goes oh let's open up that bottle of wine and we open it we have this great time and then he goes oh he goes come down to the wine cellar and i go down to the wine cellar and it's just wine everywhere what i didn't realize and what julian neglected to tell me was for as far as you can see around Mal- uh, about around john malkovich's home is wine vineyards and he owns it all <laughs> so i called john or uh, julian from from london i then went to london and i was like what are you doing telling me to bring John Malkovich wine? He goes, no, I don't know, darling. It just sounded like a good thing to do. (laughs) You know, that's Julian, but he's great. And, um, you know, uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. And I, I appreciate him. uh, him, uh, I I agree entirely and echo the thing about he's such a good friend. He's always encouraging me. And again, what you're saying about, you know, best publicist ever. I mean, he, myself barbie wilde can say the same thing you know we have to give him our books and julian's just like you know within a month he's read them 
gives really good feedback. He says, you could do this. And he's just such an encouraging, lovely guy in terms of other people's professions. And so, yeah, love him. Absolutely adore him. Wonderful yeah, he's man. great. And I'm always looking forward to see what he's doing. He actually has some really good things, hopefully coming out this year, late this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful stuff. Now, moving on to another old friend of yours, and that's Eileen Dietz. Oh, Eileen. Uh, we go back a long, long time. Um, <clears throat> you know, Eileen is um, she's probably my second longest client, I would say, um, uh, 21 years, uh, which is a long time. And, uh, you know, the People often say we're like an old married couple, um, and uh, in a way we are. Uh, she's a good friend of the family. She's over. She's over at the house all the time. Sometimes I just look up and she's in the house. I'm like, "How did you get in the house?" She goes, oh, "I just walked in." I go, "Do you know how to ring a doorbell?" Um, but she's great, and you know, Eileen. It just goes to show you that the size of the role is irrelevant. There are no small parts because the part that she played, which there were several, um, you know, people often go, she was a double. She wasn't, she was hired as a, as a, a principal actress on the film. She was also hired to be captain Howdy, which is the face of death, uh, that you see the subliminal face of death. And so, um, I think for Eileen, um, as small of a role as, as it was, that image of her is all over the world. I've seen it in Italy. I've seen it in uh, Russia. I've seen it in Spain and England. And I've seen it all over the United States, Hawaii, uh, uh, Mexico. I mean, it's everywhere. And... Um, so her contribution is is great when it when it comes to that. Many actors would give anything to be in something like The Exorcist that all these years later people are talking about. So I think for Eileen, um, you know what happened with her, the whole backlash with the film is rather unfortunate because you know she just wanted to be acknowledged for what she contributed. So did Mercedes McCambridge and, and so did other people. It wasn't just one person who played that part. It was multiple people who played that character. Um, and it's unfortunate that everything blew up the way it did. But uh, she's, a, she's a, a really good actress. Every once in a while, when I submit her for work, I'll be watching old footage uh, when I attach it to a submission and I just sit back and I look at some of that work from the late seventies and early eighties. And I just go, wow, that was so incredible. So, um, you know, she's, she's, she's the queen of, uh, of the screams as she likes to call herself. And she's, um, uh, you know, Eileen just loves to work. She goes from project to project and, um, you never know what she's going to be in. Yeah. Well, I, I find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's always doing something i always think her name cropping up on stuff and some really interesting independent films in particular uh, i thought it was fascinating talking to about her her earlier career as well again stuff i had no idea about like uh, the fact she'd worked with um anthony perkins and she was in david holtzman's diary a film i've not heard of but it was just fascinating and again such 
great stories. Well, David Holtzman's diary, I mean, I, you know, many still consider it to be one of the most uh, important independent films ever made. It usually always comes up on the top 25 list. And uh, yeah, she's, she's mm. very lucky to kind of hit her mark on, on a handful of things. Again, if you're an actor, you're lucky to ever be in one thing that kind of goes with, uh, with uh, time. You know, she's been in several. And yeah. so um, she's getting ready to fly to Eugene, Oregon to do a new movie um, called Death with Dignity. And I always laugh because these titles of these films, I mean, some of them are brilliant and some of them are the most bizarre, crazy ass things that you've ever heard of. Um, so I always say to her, depending upon the title, depends upon if I will talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a sensible attitude. Yeah. Okay. I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, another lady I really enjoyed um, talking to and found fascinating uh, for the depths of the story and what she revealed during the interview interview was Tamara Glenn. Um, and I enjoyed it was actually quite a tough interview at times because of the stuff we were talking about. But how did you, how do you know Tamara? She's a client and, um, you know, she didn't, you know, she left the business for a long time. She took care of her mother. She took care of uh, that. And I think anyone who's been in that position where they've had to take care of a family member, um, I have, it's, uh, it's a full-time job and it's just something that you have to do um, 100%. And so she took that time, did that. And uh, I think had she not, had she stayed in Hollywood, had she done what so many others uh, did during that time, you know, her career would have been much larger. Um, But, you know, I think seven years ago, eight years ago, someone found her on, uh, on Facebook and they were like, do you have any idea, you know, we've been searching for you forever. And she's like, why, <laughs> why have you been searching for me? She really wasn't aware of the, the fandom around Halloween. I mean, she certainly knew it was a successful franchise, but she didn't really know of the fandom. She's living in Arkansas, kind of detached from the real world. And um, coming back into it has been very, very um I think rewarding for it's nice. You know, a lot of people who leave and try to come back can't, but when you've got that one thing that helps pull you back into it, um, uh, that makes it a whole lot of a smoother journey. And I think for Tamara, um, I think she's so much more than just horror genre. She's quite good. I see her auditions when they come in and they're excellent. I think her choices are excellent. And um, I look forward to kind of being with her on this journey to see what, uh, what new adventures she can do, what new roles, what new genres she can get into. But uh, yeah, I found her interview to be really um, not new in terms of we've heard it, uh, you know, what, what goes on in the business um, but, uh, I thought it was, you know, very brave of her to go there and, and to talk about it and to, 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 to reveal these things. I think it's tough and I think it's become easier, certainly 
for women to be able to, to, to talk now um, because they feel like they have a voice. There's not one, but it's many. And um, I, I think that by doing it, it, it almost becomes like a therapy session because now you're starting to talk and get it out and sometimes deal with things you haven't dealt with in, in many, many years. So I found her interview to be really, um, um, it was really heartfelt and mm. it was really, uh, it was real, you know, mm. and you got to see a, a different side of her. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she will do next. Um, and um, she's a delight. Fans love to see her. So, hey, I remember her in, in Halloween five. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. in high school. I remember her very well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really lovely lady and, and very and absolutely fascinating interview. Another person I really enjoyed talking to um, for very different reasons, particularly because I managed to get him to quote Shakespeare for me, and that was John Franklin. I love John. John has been a client for 16 years, and he's great, and I love him, and he's uh, that great career that he's had. I mean, he's had a really interesting career because he's done you know film and tv and then of course he went on and left the business for a while to teach also a writer um and he's just funny john is incredibly funny and um i i often think that john um if john were coming into the business now last five seven years and had that rush of success that he had um, in his very early career, that his career probably would have really gone on to uh, to, to really do some big things uh, because he's good. He's really good. And I love sitting there. I was with John not too long ago in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and, um, you know, listening to him recite Shakespeare and do his thing. I mean, he's, he's an entertainer. He's a performer. And I, I, I enjoy our friendship the last, uh, a couple of years. I know it's been very rough for him, uh, because he lost his husband and, and, um, uh, to cancer and it was a, a real difficult time for him. So, um, I'm happy to see him kind of coming out of COVID and all of this stuff happened during COVID to him. And it was, you know, what a horrible time. And now he's out and he's, he's, he's back amongst uh, everyone and we, we've all missed him and love him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I just watched Children of the Corn uh, on the big screen with John, Courtney and uh, Fritz Kirsch, the director. And oh my God, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed watching it. They did a live commentary to the movie, the three of them, while it was uh, playing. And it was just great because they all had very different stories and they all learned things that they never knew. And that's what I thought was the most incredible was Courtney, John, Fritz. They all learned things that they just never knew, even though it's been all these years. Um, and uh, so he's got that. He's got Cousin It. Again, you got... If you're lucky enough as an actor to have one thing that you're known for or remembered for, you're, you're lucky. But he has two and he has cousin Ed. I watch people line up for hours, you know, just to, 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 to meet him. So not a bad thing, not a bad way to spend your retirement as a teacher. No, 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 absolutely not. Our next guest um, is a kind of a very different part of his career. He's a 
kind of at the beginning of his career, though he's been acting for a long time um, and is very established. And that's Lawrence Cow, who was just charming and delightful to talk with. Lawrence, really great things will continue to happen for Lawrence. Lawrence, I booked him his very first television job. Um, it was an episode of Franklin and Bash, uh, which starred Malcolm McDowell. And uh, it was a television series for TNT. And um, if every client that I had had the dedication, the work ethic, the discipline is Lawrence, my hair would probably grow back and probably change colors to dark again. Um, Lawrence is uh, the perfect client. He doesn't complain. He does what he needs to do. If he's got to get on a plane and go somewhere, he does it. And I've watched the trajectory of his career and it's done exactly what it should have done. And uh, you watch the early stuff that he did on The Walking Dead. Even though it was a small part, you knew this was a good actor. And then what he did on uh, Sleepy Hollow, he did a couple of episodes of Sleepy Hollow and he did five episodes of the originals. And uh, <laughs> we wanted more money and so then they killed him off. So that, that ended the originals for him. Um, and then even The Purge, uh, he did a couple of episodes of The Purge right before the pandemic hit. And um, he's just great. And I look forward to see what he does. This new uh, venture for him, Woo Assassins for Netflix. Um, he was quite good in the show. And so now they've it's spawned a, a movie and he's been in Thailand or spent the first four months of the year in Thailand filming. And um, as much as I know Lawrence, I'm still learning about him all the time. We had lunch yesterday, but you know, through the years, all the auditions that have come in is like, Lawrence, um, can you play a flute? Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, can you play a violin? Sure. Um, uh, Lawrence, can you play a saxophone? Yeah, I'll see if I can find my saxophone in the garage. Then then in um, Wu Assassins, there's this incredible scene where he just goes all out on the piano. And I'm, I'm watching him and I feel like this proud dad. I had a, a get together at my house for the season premiere of it. And all of us who attended, we just all sat there and watched because it was the perfect kind of arc for an actor doing every type of emotion uh, and doing all, everything from martial arts to, to um, uh, piano playing. I mean, he sings, he's a professional dancer. So there, I think there's a lot of great things ahead for him. He's got a very, very fine future ahead mm -hmm. of me and he's i'm very proud to have him as a client and a friend yeah yeah and no, i'm so impressed i remember watching because he got a lot of his show reels up on his website and just being impressed by the range of emotion um that he manages to play and the the differences in the characters and i particularly like like yourself I really enjoyed him in Wu Assassins because I think it's a complex character to play. He does an amazing job on it. Really wonderful. Um, another, another talented actor who I had known about and was really interested to interview simply based on his performance um, in one film. And it was just, and that was Lou Temple. 
And Unstoppable is the film because he just, he's only got a small, you know, there is no such thing as a small actor, you know, small parts. Great actor. You only see, you know, his amount of screen time is really minimal, but you know exactly who this character is and what this character, this whole history, just based on a few lines in one or two scenes to begin with. Extraordinary man. It's a great supporting role. I think he shot on that forever. Mm. Uh, And uh, it was directed by Tony Scott, I believe. And uh, no, Lou's great. And what I love about Lou is, again, this interesting career before he started doing anything with Hollywood. I mean, professional baseball, you know. And um, so to kind of see the journey of his life, and then he ends up doing acting. and what I love about Lou is he is such a specific type. He is a good old boy. He plays a good old boy. Um, when you see him in walking down the street with his cowboy hat and his uh, button up shirt and blazer and cowboy boots, that's him. So when you see him on the screen, it's the same thing. Um, when he gets a chance to play those, obviously Rob Zombie loves him. Um, you know, Rob uses him a lot. And like a good chameleon, when he takes off the cowboy hat, cowboy boots, he morphs into another character. And um, uh, Lou is another one. You know, he had a great run on The Walking Dead. He's done all of those Rob Zombie films. There will be more to come. And he's um, he's just a really good talent. Another person that I think, given the opportunity to do something other than genre, it, it he's a really great character and also a survivor. Uh, you know, he got leukemia. They thought he was going to die. Um, and he, you know, uh, he spent uh, a long time in the hospital, um, uh, I think in 2000 and, um, you know, so to, to still be doing what you love and, uh, doing it well. And, um, it was a pleasure to having, I haven't, he was producing something a few years ago and he and I, uh, he hired Malcolm McDowell from me and um, for it. And uh, it was great to see him again. Cause I don't think I had actually seen Lou since we were on the 31 set together, Rob's 31. And he was running around in that crazy makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, absolutely. I remember being on set and, and this crazy looking character, comes up with green hair and this chainsaw and all of that. And, and I didn't know who it was. I, mean, I didn't know who it was. And he walks up, he goes, Hey, Chris, how you doing? And I was like, Lou, you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely fascinating. actor. Really interesting. Yeah. It, it, but our next guest was obviously very close to home as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that was Paul T. Taylor, who, um, had the unenviable task of taking over uh, the role of Pinhead. He didn't directly take over from Doug, but it was a very talented, it was a really interesting conversation to talk with Paul about just what's involved for an actor to take on such an iconic role. Yeah, I certainly didn't envy him. I mean, it's the, those are pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, um, you know, it's a little different. Uh, like like a Michael Myers, for example, is 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 different 
you can pretty much put anyone in a in a mask and 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 a you know bloody dirty overalls and or uh, one of those zip up suits, um, and it doesn't matter because he doesn't say anything. He he doesn't do anything except kill people. Um, but in in uh, in the in the case of Pinhead, um, Doug Bradley um, has played that character for so long and then suddenly to have someone else come in. And I, I believe, um, the overall, the, what am I trying to say? Those are just big shoes to fill. Mm. When you look at all the other people who's played Michael Myers, uh, maybe Nick Castle, because Nick has now played him several times, but for the most part, it's, you know, but the Freddies, Freddy Krueger, Robert, mm-hmm. and Doug, when you think of people who have kind of stayed with the franchise for a, a length of time, that's what you think about. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it's a pretty gutsy, ballsy thing to do. And I thought that he really um, shared with us all um, his story. And I thought, um, but but I think he's he's done some great stuff and he's a huge fan. He's a genre fan. He has a huge collection of memorabilia and stuff. So I'm sure that was probably one of the, you know, personal reasons to do it when you get to play something like that, that you really love so much, but I would be a little intimidated by it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah me too. And I would, I, I would be incredibly intimidated. So, uh, but he, you know, he did it and, and uh, now he's moved on. Yeah. Yeah. So our next guest was, uh, you've already mentioned him, Fritz Kirsch. And it was absolutely fascinating to me to hear, having spoken to both John Franklin and Courtney Gaines about their experience in the audition room, to hear the director's take on that. You are alluding earlier to them revealing things when they were watching it together. Um, A lovely man and so energetic. I am so in awe of his energy and he's um, the fact that he's still working and creating stuff. Yeah. He's, you know, um, I think he's pretty underrated. I think that he, uh, he should have gone off to have a a really successful career. He's really good guy. Um, And, you know, the story of how he ended up getting that movie is almost only in Hollywood does that sort of thing happen? I mean, it's just like, Hey, you want to do a movie? <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it was like. Uh, Oh, come on. Let's, let's go have a meeting. Uh, do you want to do it here? Do it. Um, but again, <clears throat> you can do as a director an entire life worth of films and none of them be remembered. Um, like that little tiny horror film that you did. Uh, will be remembered. It's kind of comical. I mean, you know, I know people who have Oscars, who who have Oscar nominations, Globe nominations, Globes. People remember that little minuscule movie that they did, you know, 40 years ago and go, oh, did he win an Oscar? I didn't know that. Or did, did, did she, did, did she get something? Oh, I don't, I don't recall. And that's really the truth. I remember listening to an actor one time He's dead. I won't mention his name, but he was an asshole. And um, 
he was sitting there at a show and he was, you know, being kind of pompous and arrogant. He was like, I don't understand why, you know, all these people are just walking past my table. I've done uh, all this legitimate work. And I stopped and I said, what do you think horror isn't legitimate? Then why are you here? You're, you're here at a convention. You're making money off of people. Why is it, is it not legitimate? He goes, yeah, but I've, I've been in Oscar nominated films. And I went, they don't care about that. They truly don't care. Um, Cause he had all these pictures of other things that he had done. No one cared. They really didn't. And um, at the end of the day, it was about that one uh, film that he did in 1985. And that's all people cared about. And that's not to discount all the great work that he had done, but they just, the fans cared about that one movie. And um, it just goes to show you what a good film, you know, will last a lifetime. So in Fritz's case, you know, having corn, uh, children of the corn uh, as his kind of cream of the crop, so to speak, film um, isn't such a bad thing um, because he's certainly going down in the history books. Yeah. 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 And really, really fascinating um, uh, conversation Um, as was the last lady that I spoke to in the series. And again, we talk about actors doing things for themselves and really just saying, okay, well, you know, nobody's casting me. Okay. I'm going to go out and do something myself. And, this case, I'm talking about Naomi Grossman and her solo shows. Just lovely, lovely lady to chat to. Such extraordinary, again, energy and stories as well. Yeah, great story. Um, I'm a member of the Television Academy, uh, which, you know, does the Emmy Awards. And and uh, that's, I think, where I first met Naomi was she was doing some kind of an FYC event, which is for your consideration when it comes Emmy season. And I had watched American Horror Story and I, I thought her portrayal uh, uh, of, of Pepper was just really, really good. In fact, had she been a bigger name at the time, she probably would have gotten an Emmy, might have even gotten at least a nomination for it. Um, I thought her work was incredible. She transformed herself. Um, she's a chameleon. You know, she's totally down to do that. And she's got a, a, a wicked energy. It's fabulous. And um, I always enjoy seeing her at the Emmy events. You know, if she's there campaigning for something that she's in or um, she's there supporting other people. Um, she's really, uh, she's come a long way. I mean, in that very early part of her career, she did what all actors do, struggle, uh, you know, and doing little bit parts here and there. And um, then all of a sudden, something breaks. And um, getting into the Ryan Murphy camp isn't such a bad thing. And uh, she's done that. She's worked on, uh, I believe, three of the American Horror Story uh, shows. Um, And then American Horror Stories. Um, this new kind of, I don't want to call it a spinoff series, but it's sort of like that. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm always looking forward to seeing what she's, she's doing, uh, in the future. And I'm sure we'll bump into each other at a, at another Emmy event once she's, uh, 
uh, we can do those again. Um, and it was really fun for us to spend an episode kind of talking about what previous guests um, were up to and what projects they had done. Some of them spoke about some of their projects when, when they were interviewed. You know, obviously Malcolm McDowell is working all the time. He's on a new series up in Canada right now for the uh, some of the producers of uh, Schitt's Creek. It's a new show called Son of a Critch. And it's a it's based off of a best-selling book. He's shooting up in Newfoundland, Tracy Lords. Um, she did this fabulous um, work playing um, one of uh, our earlier female serial killers um, and in the farm. And um, uh, what she shot was basically a, uh, a sizzle. But the investors saw it immediately and went, we got to do this. We got to do this. And so, you know, she's doing that. Daniel Roebuck's working all the time. So it's great to kind of go back and look and see what people are doing and, and, and catch up with them. So we'll have to do that again. And as always, I have to thank you for uh, all your hard work. I mean, look, I feel like um, I feel like the playground teacher and, you know, the kids come up and tell me, who's being nice on the playground and who's not. And they always have good things to say about Nick. They always have uh, really beautiful <laughs> compliments and that most importantly, they feel comfortable talking to you because you won't get people like Tamara and Courtney and Lynn Shay and uh, Courtney Gaines uh, and Lynn Shay opening up and really talking if they don't feel comfortable doing it. Malcolm McDowell still to this day says how much he enjoyed your interview because you you did your research, you, 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 you know your stuff, and you're charming to talk to. You're not boring. And that makes all the difference when you're talking to someone who's been asked the same question hundreds of times. As we do this interview right now, Malcolm McDowell is doing 50th anniversary press junket for Clockwork Orange. And I can tell you right now, he would rather be on with us than doing that, that, that press junket all day talking about the film that he's going to be asked the same questions over and over and over again. And it's not going to be fun and you do a brilliant job. So thank you as always. Thank you to all of our staff and, and, and everyone who kind of keeps things going um, as dysfunctional as it can get sometimes. And, um, you know, look forward to uh, what will be in store for next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much indeed, Chris. And obviously it kind of goes without saying that those who don't know Chris does uh, you know, finds all the guests for the show gives me these wonderful questions um, to kick off the conversation and you know, points me in the right direction for doing all my research. Which so thank you, sir. Um, thank God you're eight hours ahead. I have more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there is always that as well. Um, as you say, we'll be back for season four in October, October the 14th. I think we just, we just yeah, October the 14th, um, with some more great guests from the worlds of horror, thriller, and suspense. So I hope people are going to join us then. To make sure you don't miss out on those, uh, those shows, consider subscribing to Chris's YouTube channel, or if you're listening on a podcast, subscribing to that. And of course, please hit the like buttons, because that really helps spread the word for the show. Um, Chris. Like us, really like us. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, like us. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions. Thank you.